All right, welcome back. This is the Uptime Podcast. This is episode six. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett. And here on the Uptime Podcast, we talk about wind turbines, lightning protection, and everything renewable energy. I'm joined by my co-host, Alan Hall, lightning protection expert. Alan, how you doing? Hey, great, Dan. How are you? Doing well. Quarantine week, whatever. We don't even know anymore. Where where are we? <laughs> what day is it? Is it nighttime? Is it daytime? What's happening? It's raining outside, so can't go outside today. But how's how's your quarantine? Uh, everybody is just uh, quiet. Uh, I had a phone call today, of, of all things, from someone I haven't talked to in, a, in quite a while. And he's got uh, three younger kids. <laughs> I asked him how it was going with having the kids home all the time. And he says, well, it's going. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it's hard to explain it to younger children and the older ones know more about what's happening and, and can kind of understand it. But the younger ones, I'm not sure if it's just kind of overwhelming pleasure of not being at school or is it just complete total boredom? So they probably actually bounce from one edge to the other on the boredom to excited scale all day. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be hard. Well, that's the thing with summer vacation as a kid. I mean, you're out of school and you're so excited and you have lots of stuff to do, but then when August rolls around and you're like running out of stuff to do and you're sitting at home and there's no baseball games and your friends are on vacation, yeah. you're like, I, I don't like school, but I kind of want to go back. And that's gotta be everyone's constant state right now. I mean, there's only so much to do in your house, even though video games are, you know, much more prevalent. They were when, when I was a kid, at least. Oh, and they're probably making a killing right now, right? Video games have got to be hot, hot, hot. Online video games have got to be exploding. Just like uh, Netflix and Amazon and all those video services and, and Zoom, right? So that the the online presence has got to be just huge right now. And good for them, I guess. You know, at least they're there for us. Yeah. Well, it's funny. We were talking about, uh, you know, some of the future of, travel and you know autonomous vehicles and how it'll allow us to travel so much faster but at the same time this quarantine has also really accelerated the technology of staying at home and doing stuff digitally and stop having so many meetings in person because they're superfluous <laughs> so you wonder if we're almost well, going in opposite yeah. directions like yeah we could take an autonomous aircraft in five years to get to a meeting really fast but let's just do zoom because why it's easier yeah. So they're almost fighting each other, yeah. but be interesting. Yeah, I kind of wonder that. I, I wonder because I've done a number of Zoom meetings. I had done a number of Zoom meetings before this 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 happened, and and obviously now I, I do them all on on Zoom. We've been using Zoom as our platform, and it, it, it at least with Zoom you kind of feel like just the way it's set up. It's, it's simplistic. It's easy to use. You can get on it, get off it. It's, so it's not a complex system, but. Um, it, it's it's funny because I thought that when we when we did uh, online video conferencing a year ago, it was hold meeting, meeting over, everybody's off. Mm -hmm. Now it's kind of warm into meeting, talk about the stuff we would talk about if we were all there. Yeah, have the meeting and then talk about the stuff we would have talked about in the hallway afterwards. Uh, yeah, in the Zoom call. So the zooms the zooms have changed too. So you're getting get to know people again instead of just being just cut and dry get on get off it's more social yeah yeah not a bad thing like facebook yeah yeah no it's not bad we'll take it yeah i mean 
do what, do what you can in these trying in these trying times. Everyone, it's funny. Everyone's like sarcastically saying these trying times. Like that's like something your grandma would say or your grandpa would say. <laughs> and they actually had trying times. We don't have trying times. If this is if this is as bad as it gets, uh, this is nothing to what my grandparents went through. Yeah, nothing. I was watching the uh, the Ken Burns documentary, The Roosevelts, a little bit, and I'm I don't oh, watch yeah. much TV at all. But my parents suggested it, and I'm interested in getting to know some of the the old presidents You're who are Washington DC you have to be interested yeah I do appreciate the history of where I live today there's a little bit of pride there and uh yeah so the I mean the Roosevelt's thing was very cool obviously FDR you know was in charge during the Great Depression and yeah it just gives you some perspective I mean a lot of people are going to be out of work like there's a lot of very serious implications for our economy right now that are going to continue to get worse yeah. but when you go back in time and you look at the Great Depression where 20 was I like 25% of people were unemployed and they're lining up to, you know, get food rations. Eat, very, yeah. very different. So thankful that we're still in this, uh, this version of, you know, the, you know, economic depression versus that. Oh yeah. I think I take this over the great depression, no doubt. And I take it over any world war. That's for sure. Uh, it's been an inconvenience and it's going to be a financial hit to everybody. I don't know who's going to come out this on the, on the upside, but um, if this is bad as it gets, then we're going to be okay. Yeah, for sure. So today we're going to talk about a little bit of research uh, on some blade testing, some scale stuff Mm -hmm. with blades. Also going to talk a bunch about different types of lightning and the implications on wind turbines. So Let's talk a little bit about some of the footage. And, and so we were talking uh, before the show started off yeah. off camera about how you uh, back earlier in your career for the first time saw some of these phenomenon that you only heard about of like step leaders. So Tom, yeah. Tom Warner was the one uh, who's kind of taken a lot of really slow motion video. Like, what do you say? It was a hundred, 3000 frames per second, a hundred thousand frames per second. I believe that's what he's taking video on. Yeah. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that and, and, and what we've learned from some of the slow motion video. Well, because lightning happens so fast, it's and because it's so bright, it's very hard for the naked eye to actually see what's happening and to pick out some of the precursors to the the big flash that we, that we normally see. And getting high speed video cameras to rec- digital cameras to record. Uh, lightning strikes and some of the precursors to lightning and some of the, the electrical discharges that happen in the cloud before you see the lightning strike the ground or wherever it's going to strike, uh, that was just not there. And uh, uh, Tom had done a good job of recording some of that. So you can actually see the propagation of the lightning channels through the through the sky. That, if you're working in an aircraft and in, in aircraft lightning protection, uh, it's a big help to think of it that way to actually see how it moves and understand in this high-speed video, the aircraft's not moving very far, but how things are propagating and how they're splitting in the case of negative discharge, cloud to ground, how the branching occurs in a positive cloud to ground, how there's just kind of one continuous channel uh, that happens. And you see it in the lab, and I used to work at Lightning Technologies, and Lightning Technologies, they have a very advanced high-voltage lab. And so you can 
kind of, you do enough tests, you can actually start to see those. We used to photograph them with uh, UV lenses, and so we can actually see some of the electrical discharges in negative versus a positive and see the differences in that. Um, but to see it in the sky was really revolutionary. I always, and, and it, it wasn't just me that had noticed that. Um, most of the aerospace aircraft lightning protection people working at the time had seen it or had discussed it. And uh, it was really, really helpful because it just took the book reading you had done and sort of the still photographs you had seen from the 1920s and 30s and put it into live action. So it's like seeing the Wizard of Oz for the first time if you in, in color versus any other movie that didn't have it was black and white and it had no no sound. You know, it's just that kind of revolution happened. Yeah. Right then, it was it just mind blowing. Well, when you mind blowing. Well, when you read about some of the stuff like step leaders, you're like, that doesn't seem real. That seems like, uh, or why would it happen? Right. Yeah, like why would zigzagging, it? making this weird pattern. It's like looking. For, yep. It's like that seems strange. But then when you see it on slow motion video, and we'll we'll put some links in the show notes, mm. it's fascinating watching these little creepy crawly flashes of you know electricity just scan <laughs> through the sky and then they do yeah. they connect and then boom that bolt goes through through and it's just it's crazy it's like it's like uh, a great river like a mississippi or ohio river and watching all the tributaries to it it looks like that in the sky yeah. even though you don't see that because it's it's such low light intensity and it's, it's sort of a lot of times it's just pulsing uh, so you don't your eyes don't really pick it up uh, that's what it looks like. So if you actually see a satellite view of the earth, you see where the rivers are running. That's kind of what a negative lightning strike looks like. Uh, so it has that sort of randomness to it, like mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, like water running down a hill and finding the lowest path to wherever it's going to go. It's it's very similar. To that. And sometimes the, the water channel will branch off because it sees, you know, a better place to go that way. And, and lightning just the same thing. So you have to think of the air, uh, it's going from non-conductive to conductive, and it's sort of random. Uh, it's like Plinko. If you ever watch well, yeah. uh, game shows, they play Plinko. It's just like that. Yeah. And it's not always going in like you'd expect that it, the leader, the step leaders would always be going kind of down, like towards their target. Mm-hmm. But then you watch some of them, and they're like taking a, they're making a, a 360 <laughs> spin, like going back upwards slightly. And then go, yeah. it's like, what are you doing, little step leader? Get like, get back on track. Like, he's, like <laughs> right. where like, are you going? Yeah, like they have ADD or something, but. Um, yeah, and the the video from the Midwest uh, in the summertime or or springtime, uh, where they've had hu- the thunderstorms are huge, huge. They go across states, and lightning discharges can actually run across states in the cloud, and it's just that sort of thing. Like, what is going on, and why is it continuing to to create this continual line of flashes and the the satellites that we now have um, watching some of these lightning discharges are, are finding remarkable things that we never thought were possible. It's incredible. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some of these um, different types of lightning because they all have different implications on how much force mm-hmm. is flowing through a wind turbine or a human if you're out walking your dog on the wrong time or whatever. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But let's first talk about uh, cloud to ground. So there's negative and there's positive and, and, and what's mm-hmm. the difference in the implications here? Uh, so if you think of a cloud, I'm going to give you a very simplistic model because it's actually a little more complex than this. Usually the, the lower portion of the cloud is negatively charged and the upper portion is positively charged. And, and the most of the lightning strikes you will see uh, that negative charge is reaching out and traveling to ground. And you see this sort of spiky 
looking heavily branched uh, lightning flash. The first flash will be look, look like it's all branchy, and then the subsequent you'll see multiple flashes, bang, 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 bang. That's a negative discharge, uh, negative cloud to ground strike. So it's got that pulsing, flashing light thing going on, and it has this, this sort of uh, uh, branchy look to it when it first strikes positive which tends to be a little higher up in the cloud uh, discharge tends to be just one continuous reach out and hit the ground and bammo it just starts pouring energy into that channel uh, so and there's very little branching and positive and that's due to the physics of electrons and atoms and all this stuff but essentially um, if you if you do see a positive charge and that's the rare case uh, five ten percent are positive versus the 90 ish percent that are negative mm -hmm. um yeah they're, they're they're just totally different but for the most part when you do see a lightning strike in most places in the world they're going to be a negative cloud to ground strike only in some weird circumstances sometimes in the midwest sometimes on the coastlines where there's a, a storm running rolling through the ocean do you see a positive discharge gotcha and then obviously i remember i i, I kind of remember the day not the day but i remember being told as a kid that no, lightning actually strikes upward. It's just like a, that's not true. Like it does strike from cloud to ground. And it also goes mm -hmm. ground to cloud. It goes both directions. Yep. But yeah. um, as far as the implications for, because we both seen some, some footage recently, which is intense of, you know, the lightning originating from, uh, you know, wind turbines, especially because yeah. of just how yeah. they're the biggest feature on any given, uh, you know, piece of land. But Mm -hmm. um, what's the difference as far as the energy flowing through, you know, turbine blade? Are they, is it not dangerous because it reaches out from the turbine and then goes up or is it still the same, essentially the same implications for it? It's the same implications in terms of the energies involved. Uh, when the, the wind turbines reach out to the sky and the first time I saw uh, a discussion about this was, I think it was in Spain, and it may have been Gamesa that, or, or uh, a university associated with Gamesa that was doing some research there, where uh, there was a discharge somewhere else down in the in a on the edge of the storm. So it's basically, there's a lightning discharge somewhere else, and then all of a sudden, all these wind turbines light up and they start reaching out to the sky, like, whoa, what is what is happening there? Uh, and then uh, we've seen more recent video uh, basically showing exactly the same thing. Uh, the, the, if you think about the way charge is up in the sky and when you remove some of that charge, so if there's a lightning discharge five miles down the road, well, the storms are huge. And a, a change in one part of the storm affects the rest of the storm and, and things that are tall, like wind turbines, uh, all of a sudden can see this charge center right above them that they didn't that wasn't there previously and the wind turbines start to reach out and satisfy that and bring it to ground uh, and the energies in those things are not small either uh, so you have to think of a thunderstorm as not just being this uh, pocket of charge and once you dump it it's gone it's not that way it's a very air is not a great conductor and so uh, different pockets of the thunderstorm will have different amounts of charge in them and as things move electrically it changes and it changes very rapidly and, and i think that's one of the things that i first saw from that uh, paper in spain was uh, just the acknowledgement like 
weird stuff's happening and we're taking lightning strikes we didn't think we were taking on wind turbines and we didn't understand why well here's a good reason that the that the wind turbines are actually reaching up into the clouds and and triggering strikes after a, a strike has already occurred somewhere else yeah that's yeah, cool and is there any technology that some that suppresses like you hear of like lightning arresters and is there anything yeah. that can suppress that or is it just that's just it's just gonna happen uh that's a good question. Uh, you see advertised quite often, and I'm not a huge proponent of this, but I'm not a naysayer either. It's, it's show me the data. Uh, yeah. But you'll see these these products where they say they're discharging the cloud by basically attracting static charge out of the cloud quietly and slowly so the charge can't build up enough. And so there tends to be these, these kind of spiky things are stuck up in the sky. And maybe there's something to them. I, I'm not going to discount that, uh, but can you can you stop it from happening? I don't think so. Um, obviously, people would disagree with me, and they're more than willing. I'm, I'm okay. Let's hear it. Uh, because the the whole thing in a lightning protection sense is nobody wants to have lightning damage, and we all have our different ideas of how to prevent it. And uh, my idea maybe may work, may not work. Someone else's idea may work, may not work. The proof is in the pudding. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it, we have enough lightning strikes that happen in the world that we can test out these ideas and, and check them out. It's, it'd be very similar to what we're going through, like with the COVID-19 right now. It's almost the same thing, except in a sort of medical sense, where we've got a possible, a, a, a myriad of possible cures or vaccines or serums or whatever they, they may be. And all of them have potential, and you have to sort of run them through clinical trials, be very objective about it, and say, is this working? Is this not working? Why? The same thing exists in any engineering field, and lightning protection is one of those where you really uh, see a lot of things, but you're never sure if it's working or not. Uh, and, and, and in my take, it ought to it go through those same sort of experience. You need to prove that it's working and, and maybe things that I, that, uh, that seem odd do work. And that's great. And because the goal is safer, more productive, uh, equipment and systems for, you know, to, to advance society. That's what we're all looking for. Yeah. So Everyone, if you're out there listening, there's enough lightning to go around. We can all, yes. <laughs> don't worry. We can don't all worry. get struck it's by lightning. You can all get your tests in. Um, yeah, yeah, to a neighborhood near you. Yes, it's coming. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. And I, I'm sure it takes a lot of a lot of data to finally get to that point. I mean, I know there's a lot of companies mm-hmm. out there collecting that data, um, mm-hmm. but it seems like a lot of them are playing it pretty close to the vest. And that seems almost like a problem that yeah. it's not really getting out into the public. Is that right? Yeah, it's close to the vest, and there's a lot of reasons for it. Uh, I'm not not sure any of them are extremely valid. Uh, It would be, I'm trying to think of a good example of what it'd be like. Like, let's just say it's a mousetrap. So everybody's got a better mousetrap, right? That's the old thing. You're just building a better mousetrap. Sure, you are a better mousetrap, but there are, if I go to Walmart, God forbid that I go to a Walmart today, but if I went to a Walmart, I could probably find 10 different varieties of mousetrap. And some of them may work for my particular application, and some of them won't. Uh, that's what happens in lightning protection, too. Everybody's got their own sort of mousetrap, and they're holding it as being the super effective against everything. I, I, I just don't buy into that. Not to say that the, conceptually that that's not right, 
but there's never just one solution for everything. You know, you need to take consideration um, what part of the world you're in, how much lightning energy is there, are you on top of the mountain, you're on the sea. There's a lot of variables that play into it. And uh, people don't like sharing data also, which is the other thing. They don't like to be held up to studies. Uh, it, it makes it hard. It makes it hard to be good judge, judges of it. And particularly in wind turbines, I think, because uh, it's a ground-based thing. A- aircraft people see themselves differently and want to work on airplanes and they don't want anything to do with sort of ground-based. They live in slightly different worlds. Aircraft people are also very uh, protective of technology because it can mean a paycheck. Uh, on the ground turbine, on, on ground and wind turbine things, it's a little bit different because there's so many people who are involved with it, uh, and they all have uh, basic, basic electrical lightning protection uh, ideas and concepts uh, from sort of the Franklin Ben Franklin lightning rod all the way up to these static di- dissipation devices or triggering lightning strikes with lasers or something of that sort. Yeah, uh, is there? And I, I always go back to the same thing. It may work in your particular application. If you want it to spread it out, you better do the testing and, and show it. Uh, I know we, last week we talked about um, Applied Philosophy's SLPS device. They went out and tested it. <laughs> they just went to the lab and said, hit it. Let's still see what it does. And they've also done, obviously, they've done some testing on wind turbines. And they've been able to show that it, it does work. And, you know, is it going to be the best uh fix for a lot of gamesa wind turbines yeah it totally could be but the proof's going to be in the pudding and they're going to slowly implement it and find out but that's the way engineering is right we just don't put a man on the moon you know there's a lot of rocket launches and a lot of flying airplanes before we put a man on the moon we're still in that stage with a lot of lightning protection yeah i know it's interesting i've I've been looking up tesla and they actually have kind of like an open door policy with their patents like they've shared a lot of their patents on, on battery technology and stuff like that yeah and yeah. um, I don't know. Do you think that's something that could ever happen in this industry? Uh, you know, I did you watch that video with Elon Musk talking about the just letting the patents go? Did you ever see that? I've seen uh, his could, whole Rogan podcast, and they might have uh, mentioned it there. I, I know I'm aware of it, but I don't know if I've I've watched that in its entirety. That that segment you're talking about. His his thought was, hey, we have this technology. If we hold it to ourselves, it's not going to become universal enough to actually make a difference. Yeah, and and so, and he he's right on. It's it's also a very Silicon Valley way of looking at patents, which is they have zero value um, besides paying some attorney to to uh, uh, you know go on an expensive trip. You know, it's paying for their vacations. It doesn't make a lot of sense in Silicon Valley because someone's going to rip you off and by the time so if if i'm not saying this happens but if microsoft wanted to take your idea and use it it'd be very hard to fight microsoft and win so from the silicon valley point of view tends to be we're just going to push push out with this product we're going to get two years out in front of everybody else and they're going to have to acquire us yeah and that's okay that's my patent my patent is i have the company and i have the technology and i have the name i am uber now beat me, Microsoft. Yeah, right? and and that's that's the difference. And and in the Lightning world, we still create. If you go online, it's easy to do with Google Patents today. You can actually go check what the patents are in wind turbines, and it, you'll it'll send you emails when they happen. But 
you can follow it. And and in the wind turbine world, what you see is just patent, 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 patent. And I don't see a lot of those patents being implemented on the wind turbines, which is weird. uh, Because if their idea is really good, they ought to be putting on the wind turbine. Creating patents for patent's sake, I don't sure helps the rest of the world. And and particularly in the wind turbine field, where lightning is such a significant part of the downtime of a wind turbine and the damage and the expense of a wind turbine, are you helping the industry by doing that? Is that making you a market leader because you have a slightly better lightning protection design than somebody else? I Probably doubt not, it. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it makes the industry uh, appear uh, sort of in its early stages. It's not. I mean, it's a very developed industry. It's a bit, and they're making wind turbines, what, 8, 10 12, uh, megawatt 12 megawatts? Yeah, yeah, 12 megawatts, right? Yeah, Halley, 12. Yeah, so you have these big, huge machines, and we're still. <laughs> We're we're way past that sort of uh, techie Silicon Valley point. We need to be getting to. We need to be more ubiquitous. And um, if you want wind to be a real player long term, you got to just get it into society more often. And the Elon Musk approach and others. I think Apple had that opinion for a while. I'm not sure they do that anymore. But it was just like here's the patents. You can, you can go ahead and try to make this thing. Good luck to you. And uh, we'll see you at the end. Yeah. It's probably a better play. Yeah, if I had those patents, I'd be making my own iPhones every day in my in my garage. Yeah, for <laughs> right. sure. Right. Are you, are you going to make a, a Tesla car? Like, uh, maybe. Maybe they are. And maybe they're having, maybe they, they make their own competition. They're, they probably will do that. Uh, there are a number, I, I just know, <laughs> just because I'm in the industry, I know there's a lot of electric car programs outside of the sort of the normal and normal automotive companies and Tesla. There's a lot of other ones that are going on simultaneously, uh, and they're probably using the the Tesla patents to 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 advance their product. So Tesla will have competition, but the more choices you have and the more varieties of an electric car. Uh, the the more likely that that whole industry becomes accepted, and then they can take on you know Tesla can take on a GM at that point because they have the market share. But until such time, Ford and GM and Chrysler and all the big automotive companies in the United States are just going to have their way. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So let's let's shift gears a little bit to testing. So we've talked about testing in, in other podcasts, but uh, we're talking about a research paper. That was kind of comparing scale models to full size, and yeah. so what are the ch- what are some of the challenges there, and kind of tying in some of the different types of lightning, you know, with all the different types, you know, negative, positive, um, yeah. like all the different streamers, upward, downward. How can you a does the scale stuff uh, work, and b how can we reproduce all these different types of lightning? Yeah. Okay. So there's those two pieces. Of it. Do we, are we adequately recreating the lightning event in the laboratory, and can we not use a hundred meter blade in the laboratory? Because yeah. what are you going to do with a hundred exactly. meter blade? Yeah, right? for sure. <laughs> right? You're not going to right at that point. You might as well just stick it out and, and see what happens out in real world and see what it does, um, because there's no facility that can handle it. So what tends to happen is you usually uh, use a, a segment basically the outer whatever couple of meters of a blade where the receptors are or the or the thing you bring to the lightning lab and the question always of, and and I, I i agree with questioning this because 
it doesn't make sense. If I take a, 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 the outer, say, let's just say, just make it simple. The outer 10 meters, which is 30 odd feet. If I take the outer 10 meters of a winter blade versus the, uh, and leave off the other 90, does it change what happens at the tip? Yes. Oh yeah, it will. It totally will. Um, because the electric field intensity is going to be different and the way it's going to distribute is going to be different. Yeah. And so you don't get exactly the same response from a segment as you do on a larger blade. And there's that paper um, that came out recently uh, from the uh, University of Nottingham's branch in Malaysia walks through that. Like they, they, and they use ComSol, which is a computational program, to compare the two uh, to see, because they were probably testing just the outer length of blade, and yeah. then they had the full blade to see if, they, if the laboratory results are going to match what would really happen in, in the in the real world and the answer was no they're off like uh you know roughly 15 20 percent there's a there's a that's a significant difference if you're talking about whether a blade gets punctured or not especially something that big uh, a, a puncture on a 80 meter blade it's going to be a problem it's just a problem and especially because those type of blades tend to be in in remote places like the ocean so uh, getting the lightning test right is going to be a really important aspect and so uh, I think the same, I'll give it the similar example. Cause I think this is exactly the same thing exists uh, for airplanes, which is what we call model tests. So on an aircraft uh, early on in the design process, uh, the, you can determine where lightning may attach to an airplane by creating a model. And so let's just say we got an Airbus A380, which is a gigantic airplane. And I got to shrink that down to, I don't know, say one one hundredth of the size mm-hmm. so I can get it into a place where I can, I can get it into the lab in the lightning lab and then do lightning strikes on it. So the lightning, the electrical event is all scale. It's, it's, it's one to one what's happened in the outside world, but the airplane is roughly one one hundredth of the size. Are you getting the same result? Yeah, it's a good question. Copy, yeah, you won't. I, I, you won't. The computational people uh, all the time uh, will poke at us and say ah that model test is well <laughs> they'll say the model test is garbage like, well, okay it's not garbage it's telling us a lot about where lightning is going to attach it but and I, I can push back the same thing computationally like well computational having you just it's just a guess too right where we put the model it gets pushed out the other end is it right either and the same thing exists in wind turbines um does there and ultimately in all of this the answer is you're going to put it out in the field and you're going to find out you know and then you, you what you should be doing is learning from what your experience is in the field and like we just talked about with patents we need to get that information back into the hands of engineers so they can make the next generation better across the board across the board so what are we what what would you be your suggestion then so if we're we know there's some limitations to testing and there's probably no perfect solution. Um, what, yeah. Where do you think we go? Uh, that's a really good question. Man, you're full yeah, of questions today. Yeah, stumped him. Uh, here's what my gut says. It, we're getting good computationally. And we have more horsepower. I was just talking to my son about the new Mac Pro uh, computer and how many processors they have. Like, mm-hmm. wow, there's a lot of horsepower in a device that can sit underneath your desk today that would have taken a, a room full of computational power. I think we're going to get to the point that we're going to be able to simulate a lot of lightning events on, the, on a computer. And now, can we simulate the fine details yet? 
No, that's where the problem lies. We can't simulate fine details on a lot of the lightning punctures or fine detail problems. Uh, but we're getting closer and closer and closer. So the push is going to be in the computational side um, because I don't have to test a big blade. But at the same token, I got to be watching when I do put that blade into service, I got to be watching because happening and putting that back into the model. The worst case is I do a model. I say it's good. I push the blade out the door and then I never go back and look at it. Yeah. Well, that's not, that's not engineering. You know, that's just, that's, that's Vegas, right? You're just pulling the, you're pulling the handle on the slot machine and yeah, you may get a payout. You may not. Uh, that's not engineering. You, the, the feedback is where engineering occurs. And that's, in my opinion, that's the place where we're probably the weakest because we have a lot of computational power, but I'm not sure the engineers are in touch always with what's happening in the field. Well, so is there any, uh, I mean, like, do you have to test a blade with lightning originating coming out through it and then back into it like you would, you know, from an upward strike to a downward strike? Like, do you have to do that or is that not really relevant in testing? Well, you're sort of doing it because of the polarity. So in one aspect, the blade would be negatively charged. Another, another test, the blade's positively charged. Um, and you see different, uh, think of it as you're creating this uh, cloud of charge above the blade in the lab. And, and, and this cloud of charge in the lab is a, basically a, a, typically a, a metal slab of some sort. Or, or better yet, in the way that we do it on airplanes, and they started doing it on blades uh, more recently, is they actually take the blade in a crane and lift it off the floor. It's suspended over a flat uh, metal sheet on the floor, and then you energize the blade and let it arc over to the floor. That seems to be a lot more realistic um, than some of the things I've seen in some recent papers where they have an electrode above, a pointy electrode above a blade, a couple-meter blade that's sitting above the ground, that that configuration doesn't make any sense to me. What makes sense to me is you take the blade, you energize the blade because lightning is not running into the blade. The blade actually reach out, reach out into space. So you po- you positively charge the blade, then you negatively charge the blade, and you see what it does. Uh, one of the things I know from doing aircraft tests and radome tests is as you charge a blade the first time in the test, there's charge left on the blade. So the next test you're going to do is going to have a slightly different result because there's charge already on the plastic, the fiberglass structure of the blade, and it had no place to go from the first test you did. So the second test is going to give you sometimes a slightly different result, and the third test will be different. If you change polarities, it'll wipe that out and restart. Uh, in the real world, and if you think about it in the real world, as the blade kind of spins, it's kind of like coming up to the cloud, sees the cloud, charges up, goes away, comes back up, charges up, goes away. So by the time the lightning event does occur, there's a lot of charge on the blade, and things are not as electrically pure okay. as we see in a okay. model or in a test gotcha well that's all very complex <laughs> this doesn't, this, it's totally complex right like and a, that's what yeah like something we yeah. should be able to solve quickly but it just isn't and it's clear from we haven't yeah. done it we haven't done it you can just there are plenty of drone companies like sky specs that are out there all the time looking f- to repair blades and inspect blades because they're getting punctured all the time so all the testing we've did and all the analysis we did hasn't eliminated the problem uh, and, and hopefully, you know, the, the point of a company like SkySpecs is that they can start feeding the information back to the engineers directly, and the engineers can then incorporate that in their next design and, and start eliminating some of these things. That's the goal, right? The goal is to keep these wind turbines, and if we keep the wind turbines moving and operating all the time, and as an industry, we need to get to that point. We got to get to that point. It'd be like buying a car that only really ran uh, two hundred miles, and then you had to go in for a full tune-up. That's no fun, right? 
you should, you know, once a year, give a quick tune up and get the car on the, on the road again. You just can't have random events knocking the turbine out of service. That's not where we should be today. Yeah. And then, I mean, are there other issues as far as, I mean, why can't we have a little mini wind, tar- wind turbine farm that is just used for testing? Is it just too cost prohibitive to do that? I mean, why does it have to be done inside of a warehouse, inside of a lightning lab? Uh, simplicity. Yeah. Speed. They, they always test the wind turbines. So if they have a new blade design or, or, or new generator, they will actually make uh, a prototype and put it out install and you know they may inst- put on a new tower and install it and run it and check it out it'd be like a new car or a new airplane they're going to go through a series of tests and one of those is just a real world test but they tend to have been build one of them yeah and then if they get struck and uh, there i have seen some reports where the, the development blade slash um, wind turbine has gotten struck just by happenstance and they use that as justification of why the lightning protection system works great now that's just to me this <laughs> that's not really engineering. It's just anecdotal information. But um, should we be able to do it? I think let's go back to the computational thing. We we shouldn't need to have a field full of physical wind turbines. Uh, we should be able to do it computationally. We have the horsepower to do it. Just do we have the willpower to grind it out and get better models so we yeah. can do it? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And is this something that, I mean as engineering students finish their degrees, is this something where there's enough, you know, academic power coming through up through the pipeline? I mean, is this something people want to study to advance this or does this have to be funded by private companies? I mean, does a big company like Siemens Gamesa have to kind of push to get these computational models built? Both. Now uh, I will give you the difference between the United States and uh, the UK, for example, and, and maybe it's just the the different way that uh, engineering programs are established. But in the United States, there's not where, where's the high voltage program? I think Mississippi State still has a high voltage generator lab, a lightning lab, and a high voltage lab where undergrad students can get some exposure to it. But I don't know of many others. There, there were if there are a bunch, uh, I don't know of them all. Uh, and Mississippi State, I believe that's the one that, that comes to mind. I think it's Mississippi State. In uh, the UK, uh, the University of Manchester has a huge high voltage lab that it has undergrad students and graduate students in it all the time. Uh, same thing for uh, Cardiff. They have a lightning lab. It's, it's sort of funded by Airbus, but they have a lightning lab there where undergrad students and graduate students can get hands-on exposure to the lightning world. In the U.S., it's just not the same. You just don't have those facilities in terms of, even in per capita, just Manchester and Cardiff, having those two places in the U.K., you would have to have 10 of those in the United States at least. Yeah. And we just don't. And so what happens in the States is that you, you get hired on at a company and you uh, work with the previous lightning engineer and you you, you learn as much as, as they're willing to dole out. And then you, you have to just skedaddle and work hard and put your nose to the grindstone and learn as much as you can and go to watch some Tom, Tom Warner videos and uh, uh, read all the, you know, um, all the things out of the, out of, out of Gainesville, Florida on, on lightning protection uh, you listen to someone like Andy Plummer, who has a, a ton of lightning knowledge just r- rolling around in his head the whole time. 
it's 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 um it's sort of old school and it is it's not sort of old school it is old school it's just passed on generation to generation and and i'm not sure that's a great thing for the united states uh it, it needs to be more of a uk model where undergrad students are getting some exposure to this stuff and we would have a lot less in my opinion we'd have a lot less lightning issues um, we have a lot of kids going through school right now that know a lot about computers and that's great, but that has nothing to do with lightning protection in a sense. So you're saying, and we just think Snapchat doesn't carry over to lightning, the lightning protection world. No, and there's <laughs> think of it in, in sort of baseball or sports is there's, there's sort of a minor league system, which you sort of earn your keep in a sense that if you, yeah. if you do well enough, you move to the next level. Well, it's just like that in engineering still, uh, and, but you're just learning how it'd be like learning how to play baseball the first time when you reach low level a baseball. That's just, that's just, it's just crazy. You should come in with some skills you don't have skills as an engineer. You have some fundamental skills, but you don't have any specific skills or in specific to lightning because a lot of the lightning uh, issues and having to do with the power distribution network in the United States have been solved years ago, but the airplane one hasn't always been solved. And uh, the wind turbine one clearly hasn't been solved. And there's, there's numerous other ones that haven't been solved either. Um, so our, our, uh, unwillingness to, or, our at the time uh, thinking we're not going to have any more lightning issues and shut it all down back in the 1980s was short sighted. And uh, it's, it's put the United States, in my opinion, behind the curve a little bit. Some of the best papers on lightning protection come out of Europe. Almost all of them do. There's some good ones in the United States, and there's some really good ones in Japan right now, some brilliant ones coming out of Japan. Uh, and China's invested a lot in some lightning protection and high-voltage labs where they, they have a, a bunch of students learning. So, you know, the United States does, is not the leader in lightning protection right now. I would not say that. Gotcha. As uh I wonder, maybe as a rite of passage, you know, in the police academy, if you're going to carry a mace, you have to be maced yourself. So I feel like in, in, in the lightning industry, if you're going to work in this field, you probably just need to run out into a, you know, into a storm, into an open field and maybe wave a, a broomstick around and take one for the team so you really know, so you really understand lightning, you know. Well, I think... It's only fair, no, I, only fair. I, I wouldn't say that this is factual, okay? Uh, but it sounded like when General Electric had their lightning lab down in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, that, that they had some of those initiation things were happening. Not that they would shock somebody, but they... Uh, yeah, uh, I don't want to get into it too deep, but it sounds like there is some, some initiation going on there, uh, so you kind of earn your keep. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think that as this time has changed and we've gotten more away f- and we've gotten more desk oriented and, and less uh, out in the lab oriented, we've lost a lot. I, th- I think being out in the lab and doing those experiments and get- getting the physical world put into your head pays off dividends later on. Yeah, gotcha. Well, obviously the United States can't be the leader in everything. And if there's good research coming out oh. and it comes from Europe, so be it. I mean, that's a good thing for the industry, but... But yeah, it yeah. does seem like there's a disconnect. Like maybe there's, like you said, not the pipeline that there should be with yeah. all the the higher education here in the U.S. So yeah, that's true. Well, yeah. Well, Alan, great episode today. Appreciate your insight as uh, as per usual. Yeah, thanks, Dan. I, I appreciate you, and I, I you've been doing a great job on these podcasts. Well, you know, just trying to keep up and. Um, you know, maybe I will. It's it's stormy out tonight. Maybe I'll run out there and uh, and learn and, and learn a thing or two. There's some b- good buildings I can scale. Just maybe hang out with the lightning rod for a little bit, and you know, see what I learn. Maybe come back with a big uh, big scar or something as it 
goes in and out. We'll see. Uh, I'd if rather I'm, have you watch some Tom Warner videos. If I'm, <laughs> if I'm here next week, then I survived. You'll you'll all know. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so thank you for listening in. Obviously, this is the Struck Podcast. And check us out on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also on YouTube, where we have full-length videos and short clips. So if you're looking for some little topic, you're you're an engineer or you're just really interested in enlightening and renewable energy, we have lots of little cl- quick clips that you can just grab and go three, five, ten minutes on YouTube. And um, so whatever way you want to digest our content, we've got something for you. So obviously, subscribe to the show, share with a friend, check us out on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, even Instagram, and we will catch you here next week on the Uptime Podcast. <laughs>